atheist megachurches take root across U.S. and the world. Anybody see this article in Kansas City Star a couple weeks ago? Uh, pretty, pretty fascinating, uh, to say the least. Um, let, me, let me read a little bit of it here. It says, uh, it looked like a typical Sunday morning at any megachurch. The only thing missing was God. It goes on, it quotes one of the founders. It says, if you think about church, there's very little that's bad. Thanks, I guess. It's singing awesome songs, hearing interesting talks, thinking about improving yourself and helping other people and doing that in a community with wonderful relationships. What part of that is not to like? Well, after reading that, I had to do a little more research and I found a, a, a video on their website and I think there is something we can learn from them. Let's, let's watch this video together. Hi, I'm Sanderson. And I'm Pippa. And together we started the Sunday Assembly. It's all the best bits of church, but with no religion and awesome pop songs. It's a celebration of life. To explain this properly, let's begin at the beginning. It was almost three years ago that we were in a car driving to Bath. When it turned out, we both wanted to do something like church for people who didn't believe in God, but did believe in good. We started in London in January, and now hundreds meet twice a month to hear great talks, sing awesome songs, help in the community, and share tea and cake. The funny thing was, it accidentally went a little bit viral. More and more of London's atheists are waking up on a Sunday morning and going to church. It turns out there are loads of people out there who want to live better, help often and wonder more. There's already one in Melbourne, New York, Bristol and Brighton. By the end of the year, there'll be 30. That's a 3,000% growth rate, I think. We've got this far, just us and a boatload of volunteers, but we've had hundreds of requests from people who want a Sunday assembly of their own. And if we want to reach the 300 million people across the world who have no religion, we're going to have to get digital. We need your help to build an organisation that is 100% dedicated to helping people live better, help often and wonder more. Throughout recorded history, humans have gathered together to celebrate their values. So imagine what could happen if we married the best parts of religion with modern science. Imagine if we had the tools to help others and to make ourselves as good as we can be. Imagine if we combined inspiration, technology and community to bring human potential to dizzying new heights in this one life we know we have. That's the mission of the Sunday Assembly. It's ambitious, but totally doable. Please support our project. Let us change the world with love and tech. Reason and joy. And tea and cake. kind of fascinating, right? Um, now, now, I don't agree with their theology, okay, um, to say the least, and, and I don't really agree with their overall assessment of what church is, right? Um, just a bunch of people trying to improve, improve themselves and improve their lives. That's, that's not who we are. That's not, that's not why we exist, but I am all over the tea and cake thing, okay? Um, I mean, at least, you know, coffee and donut holes, I guess that's kind of the American version, uh, but what I'm struck by is this desire to be together, right? This longing for these relationships, for, uh, for meaningful relationships of like-minded people centered around a purpose bigger than themselves. I mean, anybody else struck by that? I, I mean, what, what this tells me is that it doesn't matter what you believe or who you are or where you're from or whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. We long for community. We long to be surrounded by people that we can do life together. But here's the difference. 
We don't just need community for community's sake. Is there perhaps just a little bit more at stake here? Now, as we've continued our high-speed race through the whole Bible this year, we've spent the last few weeks focusing in on, on what does it mean to live this life, to actually live out our lives as Christians, followers of Jesus. We've talked about a, a lot of different things, but the question now today is how do we keep doing it? Uh, how do we keep following Jesus when he takes us places we don't want to go? How do we keep believing when life disappoints us or when God disappoints us? How do we keep on when we get bored or distracted or just plain too busy for it? How do we do it? I mean, because you may have gotten on this crazy path with Jesus, but how do you keep walking? One thing. Just one, and if, if we neglect this one thing, if we find ourselves too independent or too busy, you will not make it. Church, you will not make it alone. We don't just need people to hang out with, as important as that is. But, but this is a matter of life and death. If your plan is to follow Jesus, you will not make it alone. And neither will the people sitting around you. And you cannot miss this from the book of Hebrews. We're in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning, as we heard read a few moments ago, and, and we learn four crucial things about life together, about this, this innate human longing for community. We, we learn that life makes it necessary. Church makes it tangible. We make it difficult, but Jesus makes it possible. Life makes it necessary. Life is hard enough by yourself. I mean, whether you're an atheist or a Christian, life is just too hard to do alone, and following Jesus is just plain impossible. In this church of the Hebrews, they were at risk. And more than, than just that risk, it, it, see, as you look at the, the letter, it's, it's clear that there were those who were in their midst, who were part of their church, who were no longer. They, they'd gone their own direction. They, they decided that they were done with it. They chucked it all, given up on Jesus, and gone back to their former way of life. And those who were left in that church 2,000 years ago were at risk of doing the same. And unlike so many of the other letters in the New Testament, there's, there's not some big crisis that the, the author of Hebrews is writing to address. That's, that's not, that's not what, what's happening there. I mean, other letters we could talk about have all these different things of, of crisis that have to be addressed, but this is really just a normal church, a normal congregation, in a normal time period, simply growing a little bit apathetic. In chapter 2 of Hebrews, it says that they had begun drifting slowly drifting away. And in many ways, I think I can relate to that, right? I mean, things seem pretty normal for us, right? We're not, we're not being persecuted. There's, there's not some, you know, false teacher, at least we don't think so here, right? Um, we're, we're not uh, disunified or, or any of that. Frankly, we're, we're fairly comfortable 
which is when Christians oftentimes begin to drift. It's subtle, but it's deadly. And it's so deadly that the author of Hebrews just spent the last nine chapters, right, up to this point, reminding this church all that Jesus has done for them, all the ways in which Jesus is better and this life is worth holding on to. He's gone over and over and over, and he's been building to this point in chapter 10 where he sort of transitions and says, now this is how, how we're going to live it out. Okay, verse 9, this is what we believe, and now, now we're, now we're going to do it together. How do we stop drifting? And the author gives three commands. Let's begin reading in verse 19. First, first off, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, through his death, essentially. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, okay, all that is really just summary of everything he's just told us in chapters 1 through 9, if we were to look back. It's just a perfect summary. Jesus did all of this. Therefore, then, command number one, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Essentially, the command is draw near to God. You can now because of Jesus. Command number two, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Don't give up saying, hold on to to what you believe. Don't quit. And then command number three, And this is the the longest of the commands, and it's the one that that holds them all together. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, now, now, that word neglect in the, in the Greek language, that, that translation, it, it's a bit soft, actually. It's, it's really more of like abandon. They, they've abandoned one another. They've abandoned the, this, this covenant that they've made with, with God. They, they've given up on it all. And it just says, it's so interesting to me, it just says it's become their habit. Now, that, that fascinates me. It's not like they, they set out that these who, have, who drifted away, who, who left church and who left Jesus. That's what's happening in this, this community. Something they set out to do, it just became their habit to slowly get a little bit more distance from their community. And the more distance they got from their community, the more distance they got from Jesus until they left him altogether. And if you think I'm making too much of that, that that's what happened, like these people drifted and now, you know, they're not, you know, they, they've left Jesus kind of thing. If you look at the passage that follows, the author makes it Clear, that's exactly what happened. These drifters no longer have any place with God as a result of their drift. I mean, it is incredibly serious what's happening. It's life and death. But it's also kind of a common story, isn't it? I mean, I can, I can picture way too many faces, old friends, family members, people who used to worship here with us, who... At one point, it seemed yes, and then it just sort of drifted. And oftentimes, it begins by drifting away from the community, right? Farther and farther away from the people to encourage them, to support them, to, to love them, and then farther and farther and farther until Jesus has no place in their life at all. 
And it's a heartbreaking story, but many of you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Some of us here will join their ranks. Some of us have already begun drifting. I mean, just for a moment, imagine yourself on a boat, you know, miles and miles away from the shore. All you can see around you is, is water, but you're anchored there, okay? You're, you're fast and immovable, and yet over time, the, the rope holding you there, it just, it's not as, quite as strong as you thought it was. And it slowly begins to, to tear away, and, and you begin to, to drift. I mean, in that situation, you could end up miles and miles and miles away before you even notice that something's happened. I mean, unless you're like ridiculously vigilant, right? Eyes in every single direction. You're going you're gonna to end up lost at sea, miles away from the anchor. And yet what the author is saying here is that with, with community, with people around you to encourage you, to love you, to comfort you, to care for you, then you, have, you do have eyes in every direction. People to notice and people to speak up and people to, to call you out and to call you when you're missing and to, to care for you, to pursue you. And when that happens, anchored together, working together, it makes it so much harder to drift, doesn't it? I mean, when temptation comes and overwhelms us, when tragedy hits your family, if you want to take Jesus seriously, if you want to hold fast to the end, you will not make it alone. Life makes community necessary. And church makes it tangible. I think that's kind of the author's point here. He's telling the church not to give up on the church because some there in their midst have have done that. And so again, verse 24, it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The idea of stirring up one another, it's like provoking each other. You know, prodding each other on, pushing each other into these, these good works, this love, into action. And he says, you know, we do that by meeting together regularly, he says. And by encouraging each other, he goes on and he, he says, right? The, the local church, God's people, gathered together in a place and in a time. That's us. We make community tangible. We, we put it within our, our reach, right? It makes it possible. It makes us be able to reach out and actually grab onto this thing that all of us long for in our society, in our world. We're created for it. And Sunday morning is important for that. But even if you are here every Sunday, it's still not enough. I mean, look around, Right? I mean, if, if this worship service is the sum total of your spiritual community, you're still not going to make it. And, and neither are the people around you. I mean, it's not possible to obey these kinds of commands in a room this size. It's just, it's just not possible. I mean, on an average Sunday, you worship here together, both services with, with about 500 people. Right now, in this room, there's probably about 175 of us here gathered together. Um, 
I mean, how are, are you actually, I mean, what, what's your plan to actually get to know people well enough so that you can stir them up towards love and good deeds? And, and so that they can know you well enough to be able to see what's going on in your life and to, to know that the circumstances, to be able to stir you up towards love and good deeds. I mean, the 174 strangers sitting around you, or maybe acquaintances, I guess, it's not going to happen. If that's it, you will not be obedient to what God requires. And you are in danger, not, not just of losing out on the joy that's offered, but you're in danger of drifting from Jesus. Oh, come on, Nathan. Such an exaggerator, I know, I know. Convince me, Nathan, right? Convince me, convince me I need this. Convince me that my life will be lost without it or that my life will be so much better with it. I, I can't convince you, okay? But if you follow Jesus and you, you want to actually build your life upon this book, I don't have to convince you. I mean, it makes it clear to us that we need this, that we are desperate for us, that we will not possibly make it without us. If you believe this book, you don't, you don't need any, we don't need any more convincing, do we? I mean, even just think, for example, of all the other one another commands, you know, the one another commands in Scripture. There's like 40 of them. Um, here's a few examples, like love one another, pray for one another, accept one another, serve one another, submit to one another, encourage one another, be hospitable to one another. How do you plan to obey those commands by yourself? Or, or, or even just in the context of fairly superficial relationships, how will you, how will you do what God requires? You need the people sitting around you. And, and they need you. It's the only way to keep from drifting. And it doesn't happen here. Just the 500 of us doing life together. It's not possible. It happens in smaller groups. It happens in, in many ways in, in what we at Christ Community call community groups. And it is our desire, our hope, that every one of us, everybody in this room, so that means you, if you're wondering, um, that all of us would find a place in a community group. No matter who you are, no matter where you're at in your journey, no matter how busy your life is, that all of us would find a home here. And that's not our desire because it's our thing, right? We think we've got some really great ideas and we really want to add some, some more things to your schedule for church. To, it's, that's not it at all. It's because we believe and we are convinced the Bible teaches that the only way to do this life is to do it together. The only way. Not, not, not like it's an option or, or you know, one path of many. It's the only path. And this kind of community can only happen in smaller groups. I mean, even just think about the Church of the Hebrews again. I mean, this church likely back then, 2,000 years ago, it would have been a collection of, of groups meeting together in homes on a regular basis. That's just sort of what the church looked like back then. So that they were able to actually encourage and love one another. Spiritual community is the primary catalyst for spiritual growth. If you want to grow, and if it's, if it's your desire to change if, if you want to experience the joy, if you want, want to hold fast to Jesus, not giving up, and if you want the people around you to do the same, get into a group. 
And a little over half of us here already are, right? And, and you know the, the delights of, of being in your group and the community that's there. You know what that is. And now because this is so essential for us, we as a church, we've made some significant changes um, over the last few months of what this is going to look like together. Um, we're beginning in January. We're launching a whole new endeavor together, and we want everyone, okay? I think, I think that's probably clear by this point. Uh, but we're structuring our, our community groups now into three eight-week trimesters. Okay, let me just explain a little bit of what, what we mean by that is we're asking our groups to meet every week for eight weeks. And then take a break. And then meet again for eight weeks, and then take a, take a long break. Uh, I mean, it sounds like a lot, right? Every week, it's a little scary. I, I'm, I'm with you there. It's only 24 times throughout the year. Uh, it's eight intense weeks of community. We think that's important to building relationships. And then a, a break, which is especially helpful for those of us who are introverts, right? To have that, that break, to catch our breath before we get back in. Seriously, right? We need that. In and out. We need, we need a little bit of a break. We just, we just don't think that every other week or once a month is going to cut it. I mean, not, not for the kind of relationships that we're desperate for. I mean, there's just too much at stake to, to enter in with, with as little intentionality as that. We need more than that if we're going to make it. Now, after each eight-week session, you'll have a choice if you're in, if you're in a group. Uh, do I like my group and want to keep meeting with them? Now, you can sign up and, and continue on. If, if you think my group is a bunch of weirdos, um, you can get out, right? That, that's kind of the nice part about doing these three segments is that, that there are three easy on-ramps and easy off-ramps every single year to be able to get on and off or, or to take a break if, if you need to at any point. All we're asking right now is that you try it for eight weeks. That's it. January 19th through March 9th. It can't be that hard, Right? I mean, if you want to jump back in in April, okay, or again in September, that's how the year's going to look, January, April, and September, these, these launch points, and that's great. That's our hope, and we, we hope that groups will, will stay together long, long term, but at this point, just, just give it a shot. Try it. We've even developed our own study material for this. We think, it's, we think it's that important, and the first study in January is going to go through the five things that we think are most important for every Christian, most important, um, and, and for those who are exploring the Christian faith to see what that might look like. And we also hope that our groups will be family-friendly. That's certainly a desire. Um, that's going to look different in every group. We want this to be a place where families together can grow together, can connect in relationship together. Life makes this necessary. And hopefully church makes it tangible. That's, that's our goal, to put it within, within our reach and to try to live it out together. But I can already hear the objections. Like, you don't even have to say anything. Like, I can hear them, like, just coming up this way, right? Because we make it difficult, don't we? That's, that's the third thing. And by we, I mean me, okay? And, and I, I've come up with kind of five big objections, and these are the ones that just sort of hit me, right? Because I struggle with this as well. And so I want to, I just want to kind of walk through these um, to help maybe explain a little bit more of what we're doing. Hopefully it'll come out there. Uh, but objection number one, objection number one is I'm just not Christian enough. Okay? And we, we hear this often from folks getting into group. You know, it's just, this sounds like something for like spiritual people, right? For people who have it all figured out. Um, but if you're, if you're not a Christian or, or, 
and are curious, or you feel like you're just plain brand new at this, this is absolutely a great place for you. Because all of us are in process. In fact, this past week I had lunch with um, one of our newest uh, believers in Jesus here in this, in this place and had lunch together and just asking him, you know, how, how did he come to this conclusion of, of giving his life to Christ just, just a couple weeks ago or a month ago or so? Um, I love what he said. Not even knowing, you know, what, what we were talking about today or anything like that, he said, you know, it was the Sunday services here where the light began to turn on. That that was a big part of it. But then he said, it was in my community group that it all began to come to life. It doesn't matter where you're at on this path. This is absolutely the place for you. And, and particularly, I mean, if you, if you are struggling to figure this out, this is a great place to ask questions, even really hard questions, even just to see how other Christians are at least attempting to live these kinds of things out. So you don't just hear it from up here, but actually begin to, to see it at work. There's no better place for you if you just feel like you're not a good enough Christian or not, not there yet. It's a perfect spot. Yeah, but Nathan, Christians are weird. Yeah, I mean, it's true. I'm sorry. I don't even know what to say there. You're right. We are. We are. But once you get to know us, we're still weird, right? Uh, But maybe not quite as weird as you once thought. And regardless, we want to do life with you. Try it eight weeks. Eight weeks, okay? Objection number two. Objection number two, but I'm just, I'm doing just fine on my own. Thank you very much. I've been a Christian for years, you know? I've done every Bible study. I just, I don't need this. Well, apparently you do. Because if that's, if that's your attitude, right, you have no idea what this book says about how desperate you are. Just saying, okay? Or maybe you're like, I'm fine. I'm a man. I don't need people, right? Some of you are thinking that. You wouldn't maybe say that, but I, I know. I can probably name some of you that are thinking that right now. <laughs> And you imagine that going to a group like this is going to be like when your wife drags you to a kid's birthday party when you don't even know the kid, right? And you're just, it's just going to feel awkward and kind of weird. And you're just going to be sitting in the corner thinking, why am I here? Well, dude, I'm not buying it. I'm just going to say it. Um, I think deep down you're as desperate for a friend as any of us. Um, hungry for it even. And it's not like we're just going to sit in a circle holding hands and talking about our feelings, okay? No kumbaya. Nothing like that. I mean, gag me. I don't want to go to a group like that either, so it's okay. But come on, my life is fine. Just get off my back. And maybe that's true. Maybe your life is fine right now. But what about when it starts to fall apart? What happens then when you, when you get bad news? Who, who will help you carry that burden in those moments? And, and who's going to help you overcome sin in your life now? I mean, Certainly there are things, right, in your life that you wish you could change, that you wish that you had power to wave a magic wand, but how is that going to happen in your life if you don't have people to pray for you or to encourage you or to love you even when you blow it? How do you, how do you expect to change? But hey, let's just say for the sake of argument that you really actually don't need anyone. You know, first person on planet Earth, but still. You don't. You're okay. You're okay. Let's just say for the sake of argument, the people around you aren't okay. So maybe, maybe you're doing fine, but this, this isn't about you. 
mean, even, even the command in Hebrews, it's not go find someone to encourage you. It's you go out and find somebody to encourage. Because we cannot make it on our own. I mean, if, look around. If you knew the amount of heartache and brokenness that lives in this room, and you have an opportunity to encourage and to carry those burdens with other people who are so desperate for it. It's, it's just really, it's not about you. You might not need it, but the people around you are desperate for it. Give it a shot. Which leads to objection number three pretty easily. It's too messy, right? Well, you're darn right it's messy. Well, what if I get hurt? I promise you, you will get hurt, right? Because the people in your group are going to be just as messed up as you are. But how else are you going to learn patience and forgiveness? But if, what if someone in the group shares a really difficult thing, right? Yeah, that'll probably happen too. There's some serious junk out there. But how will those people keep walking with Jesus if you're not there to encourage them? It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be convenient. I'd be a great salesman, wouldn't I? <laughs> but it is going to be better. And even if you end up with people that you never would have chosen in a million years, I mean, first, it's only eight weeks, okay? So relax. But even if that happens, what brings us together is not our, our, our interests, our hobbies. It's not, it's not how well we click or, or whether we get along. What brings us together, this is the unique thing about Christian community is we are centered upon Jesus. He is the one who brings us together. So we're not just friends or acquaintances. We're brothers and sisters. We're family. He changes the whole game when it comes to community. Eight weeks, just try it. Injection number four. Nathan, I get it. We need community. I'm in, fine. But community should be organic. You can't force friendships. I absolutely agree. Even, even the best pastor in the world will, doesn't know how to manufacture these kinds of relationships. I get that. But listen, you organic lovers. The opposite of organic is not intentionality. The opposite of organic is artificial. And certainly the last thing we want to do is, is fake it, Right? Just kind of smooth it all over and and pretend to have something that's not there. But so help me, we will be intentional. I mean, ask any farmer, right? No farmer just sits back and says, well, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen, right? I want it to be organic, so we'll just kind of see what happens. No, there's incredible intentionality, right? Discipline and planning and and structure and tilling the soil and watering and planting and all of that that is necessary. Nobody just sort of sits back and says, well, if it happens... I mean, if you're waiting for community to just happen, it's got to be organic. I mean, how's that working out? It's pretty lonely, isn't it? Try a little intentionality, maybe even a little bit of structure. Eight weeks. And see if in the midst of intentionality, something organic, something alive, doesn't begin to take root. And finally, we've all been waiting for it. Objection number five. I'm too busy. Well, of course you're too busy, right? I'm too busy. You're too busy. All God's children are too busy. We are all too busy. This is the biggest objection for most of us. And I got to be honest, I almost don't even want to address it. And here's why. 
Because I, mean, I know we all are, are all absolutely too busy for this. But we talk about making margin for church. We talk about making margin for, for a little, you know, spiritual formation, making margin for, for tr- true community. You know, well, I'll, I'll consider taking this seriously if I can find a little space in my schedule. A couple of months ago, I, uh, I found a pretty sizable lump in my leg. Um, and I, I wasn't really worried about it. I have, I have, I mean, TMI, I have really nasty legs, okay? Like vein issues and all that. And so, I mean, it wasn't, wasn't out of character. Sorry to go there, but there's a point. Um, and, but, I, you know, it was big. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to go to visit my family doctor and just kind of get it checked out. Um, and so I go, and he's, I am not making this up. He probably used the word impressive like 10 times describing this thing. Like, wow, that is impressive. Whoa. Like, I, I've never seen anything quite like that. That is impressive. I mean, he, he almost got out of his phone and, like, took pictures of himself next to it to put on Facebook, calling in the rest of the staff. They're like, you got to check this. I mean, it was, it was almost that bad. And, and he ended up saying to me, he's like, okay, you know, Nathan, it's probably, it's probably nothing, okay? And, I, and honestly, I, wasn't, I really wasn't that worried about it, just given everything. It's a, and yeah, but that, that is impressive. I've never quite seen anything like that. You might want to get it checked out. And, you know, so I turned to him and said, well, if I have enough time, I guess I will. Right? If I can just squeeze it in, I'll, I'll look at my calendar and see what I can do, and well, I'll have to move this. I mean, no, right? Nobody in their right mind would do that. When somebody says, when, when something with authority says, you need this or you will die, we don't make margin for those things. <laughs> we make margin for everything else in our lives. I mean, it, it, it turned out fine and didn't even get this far, but, I mean, nobody makes margin for the oncologist. Nobody. The on- oncologist gets first dip. Everything else gets, gets the margin time, the leftover time. All of us are busy. Every one of us. But do we believe what this book tells us when it says that our life is at stake? You don't make margin for community. Jesus is not going to be our hobby. Margin is for everything else. If, if we really believed this book, really believed it, we wouldn't look at our calendar and say, and I do this, right? Okay, well, I've got a little opening here and maybe a, a little God time here and can make it to church this weekend and find a, a community here in this spot. If we really believe what this book says, it would be the opposite. We would, we would put those things first on our calendar and we would revolve everything else and say, well, I can do this because of this. I can't do this because of this because this is what's going to save our lives. This is what we need what we're desperate, what I need, what I am desperate for. Because I, I just, I know it. I know myself too well. I cannot make it alone. I need people in my life. And now that we're all feeling both guilty and overwhelmed, right, and me too, but listen, life makes it necessary. Church makes it tangible. We make it difficult. But I love this. Jesus makes it possible. I mean, that's what this whole book, this whole passage is rooted on. Remember, if we go back to verses 19 through 23, right? The the beginning there, it started off, therefore, brothers and sisters, since. And it goes on and it gives this summary of all that Jesus has done, everything that he's accomplished. And then it says, then we can get into community because of what Christ, he makes this possible. No more shame. And he makes this kind of community a reality for us. I mean, how? 
I mean, two ways, and and we've talked about this before. I mean, the gospel tells me how messed up I am, that I am such a proud, selfish, broken sinner that the God of the universe had to become a man, had to die on a cross and defeat death just to rescue me. And if that's true, there's no arrogance. There's going to be no self-righteousness, no judgmentalism, nothing but forgiveness and patience with others because I am that messed up that God had to do that in order to rescue me. I mean, that, that revolutionizes community. But at, at the same time, the gospel also tells us that God was glad to do it. That, that I am so loved, so valued, that Jesus gladly did that for me. Which means I'm his son now. Son of God. And if, that, if that's true, then I can be open and honest with people. I don't have to be afraid of people. I don't have to try to impress them. I don't have to be insecure around them. And I better love them because Jesus also loves them like that. It revolutionizes community. I mean, just an example of this. Um, A a couple months ago, uh, an out-of-town guest came up to me right after the the service. And he said to me, in 60 years, I've never heard a pastor so open and honest about who they are from the pulpit. Um, and I don't know if he meant it as a compliment or as kind of a, like, what's wrong with you kind of thing. Um, because honestly, I mean, it goes both ways, right? And I, and I hear that often. Some people, frankly, they just, they don't like it when I, when I share that open. They prefer to think their pastor is the one with it all together. And that's not who I am, and I'm not going to portray that. I, yeah, so sorry. Um, others, others have said, you know, Nathan, when you share that, don't you just give ammo to those who are kind of critical of you and don't really necessarily like you? And well, that's, that's true, too. It's absolutely true. But let me tell you why I'm open. Um, I know many of you have said something to me about open, honest, authentic, whatever you want to call it. I don't, I don't even know. Let me, it's not because I like doing it. Let me say that. Because frankly, I hate it. I, abs- I, I don't even like admitting to Kelly areas in which I am weak. I hate it, being that, being that open and honest. But let me tell you why I do it. I do it for three reasons. Three. One, I do it because I want to go to a church in which that kind of community is possible. I want to go to a place where people are willing to come out of their hiding places to share who they, who they really are, to be open and authentic with one another, to, to be okay asking questions and to knowing other people's struggles. Not, not where sin is okay, of course not, but where it's okay for us to, to be able to share because, and this is the second reason, because only then can we change. It's only in a community like that where we, we get the junk out of the dark and the shame out of the dark and be able to see it and, and help others in it and encourage others and, and show others what forgiveness looks like. Only there is change absolutely, actually possible. And so I want to go to a church like that. And I, and I feel like if, if as I, it's got to start here. I've, I've got to do it, no matter how much I hate it. And the third reason is because the gospel says that I can. The gospel tells me that I am, I am God's son, that Jesus is my brother. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks of me. It doesn't matter if, if people criticize me or seek to destroy me or look down on me because of anything. That, that opens up every possible door for true community with one another. Jesus makes it possible for us to live like this. As painful and as hard as it sometimes is, only he makes it possible. And friends, I could tell story after story of the, the ways in which community has saved my life. How, how community, through, through Jesus, has saved my soul. 
And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, I can tell you about my friend Toph. It's Christopher. He goes by Toph. Um, he and I, he's a pastor now in, in Minneapolis. He and I, uh, twice a month for the last 15 years, have called each other, prayed together, encouraged each other, tried to seek Christ together in, in our various stages. 15 years we've done that. And I could look back and, and tell you about the time in, in college when he and I started doing that, how instrumental that relationship was for both of us in finding freedom in college from sexual sin. That was, was huge, that relationship. It was a big deal for I could tell you about, about the community group I was in in seminary. We were newlyweds, and in that time, and seminary for me was, was a time of, frankly, a lot of deep, dark doubts, struggling with faith, but how this group kept me tethered even though I wanted to drift because I could see their faith and grab onto it with them. I can tell you about the group I'm in, I'm in now. It's a really, really small group, but we meet together intentionally and deliberately. It's just Kelly and me, uh, the other three campus pastors, and their spouses and families. It's eight adults all together. Um, But we meet together to vent and to to talk and to uh, share requests and needs and to to laugh together, to cry together. We we do all of this because I know myself well enough to know, frankly, I mean, I I believe this. I don't think I'd be a pastor um, right now without these people, these kinds of relationships in my life. And we meet for the express purpose together of, of holding on because we, we want to make it. We don't want to give up. I mean, there, this, the statistics of pastors who either burn out or destroy their families or end up murdering their own souls is just way too high. And we don't want to be a statistic, and so we meet together, and we we encourage each other, and we care for one another, we love one another, we do everything that we possibly can for one another. These people in my life, and many more, they have saved me. And they keep saving me. But don't just take my word for it. Try it. There's a card under your chair when you came in, and a pen. Uh, and we're going to take the next few minutes. And here, here's what I want you to do, all, all of us here. Just pray about the next steps with that card in your hand. Whether, whether you're guests or, or you've been here forever, pray about what God wants you to do next, what that looks like for you. Um, for some of you, that means signing up, okay? You're ready. Fill out the card. Uh, there's places to drop it by, by each door. That's, that's, you're, you're ready. You're in. You're, you're good to go. For others, you're already in a group. Um, and if that's you, I'd encourage you, go ahead and still fill it out, but write it on the back. Turn it over and write out maybe your favorite thing about your group. Um, the thing that you love most or that's been the biggest encouragement for you. And for those of you who just aren't ready, and I realize that's, that's probably a, a large portion of us, and that's okay. We've got time here. We said January 19th is kind of the, the launch date. You've got time to think about it, to pray about it, to figure out your schedule, um, what that's going to look like. But I'd encourage you, pray about it here in this, these next couple of minutes and take the card with you. Don't, don't leave it there. Take it with you. And maybe tape it to your mirror or carry it around in your pocket for uh, a few days just as a reminder to pray, to say, God, what, what do you want from me? What's the next step for me? Because you will not make it alone. But you don't have to. Why don't I... Pray for us as we transition, and then we'll have a few minutes to be able to fill out those cards. Let's pray. God, I am just so thankful for the people you've put in my life. 
And I will be thankful forever for their influence, for the laughter and for the tears, for the mess, as well as the beauty. God, I pray that many of us could say similar things. God, we've experienced what it's like to have these kinds of deep, intentional friendships. I pray that you would encourage us in that that we would continue to make time for these things and, and live that out with intentionality to encourage one another all the more as we see the end drawing near. God, for those who aren't there yet, Lord, I pray that they would hear these words with grace, not with guilt or shame or judgment, but with grace, God, and that you would help them begin to see what, what this might look like, what is the next step, how this can become a reality. And together, Lord Jesus, we do this because we love you. We do this because as the author of Hebrews says over and over again that you are better and we long to hold fast to you all of our lives. Help us do that, we pray. You're our only hope. In Christ's name, amen.